0: How are we feeling this morning, 1045? Good, good. Y'all were just, y'all were talking to each other so much and there's the energy. It's was so good to see you. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Jernigan. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us as we continue our Advent series called In the Waiting. And in this series, we're looking to do one thing. We're looking to reclaim the meaning of Advent to refresh our hope in the return of Jesus. Now, if you missed last week, we, we kind of introduced Advent, explained what it was and how it plays a role in our, in our Christmas season, how it plays a role in our, our relationship with God. And we talked about this, this idea that we live suspended between two Advents. The first Advent was when Jesus came to be born uh, as, you know, eight pounds, six ounce, beautiful baby Jesus. And then, and then the second Advent is when he returns, And we unpack both of those Advents and what it means. And we live suspended between those two events. And as we do, we live in the waiting of Jesus coming back. And last week, we talked about this, kind of the big idea last week is that this world is not our home. And if you're here today and you're not really sure where you are with the Jesus thing or the church Bible thing, I'm going to first say, man, I'm glad that you're with us. Thanks for coming and, and spending some time with us. It's not a mistake or accident that you're here, but you might have heard me say this world is not our home. And you might think that I'm talking about like, you know, interstellar, interplanet- interplanetary travel or whatever. And that's not what I'm talking about. Um, you'd have to go back and, and and listen to the message from last week. But ultimately what we learned last week is that God created humanity to live in paradise with him. And we don't currently, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we don't currently live in that place. Um, We live here on earth and it's far from perfect. Amen. And so uh, we introduced that uh, last week. Before I jump in any new content, I wanna encourage you, we uh, released last week a companion devotional, um, a 30-day devo uh, leading up to and through Christmas um, to help us navigate this season. And it will kind of serve kind of alongside what we're doing. And um, we made that for free available to you. You can go to our website, you can go to the QR code uh, on your handout. I know we ran out of handouts today. Um, you can go to our website and you can find it. I had several people say, hey, do we have this in print? And that's a complicated question because the answer initially is no, we do not have it in print, but you can have it in print when you download it and print it. And then and then you can have it in print. In fact, print's probably the best way to do it. Um, Our designer did a great job designing it and laid it out. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna evaluate the first of three perspectives as we go through this Advent season that will inform us on how we are supposed to live and how we are to live suspended between these two Advents. And I wanna ask and answer the question today, what do we do in the waiting when we are in pain? What do we do? How do we live in this in between season, we all experience pain in different ways. Some of us experience physical pain, everything from the bumps and the bruises and the owies, um, to the really serious stuff, you know, breaks and diagnoses and, and that kind of thing. We, we experience um, emotional pain. Um, uh, we go through um, all sorts and all range of uh, emotional things from a, a depression, anxiety, um, fear, you know, all kinds of things like that. We, we experience relational pain where we we go go through having broken hearts and broken hopes and broken dreams and broken families we go through financial pain where stuff happens that we weren't really prepared for and it causes financial pain on our life we also go through spiritual pain spiritual pain um oftentimes is best defined as Um, feelings of kind of isolation and loneliness. And sometimes you can feel as if God has abandoned you. But here's, regardless of the kind of pain that you go through, here's what I've learned about pain so far in my life. Um, I have rarely been in a situation where I saw pain coming. There are very few times in my life where I've been able to prepare for the pain because I saw it coming. Instead, most of the time, pain has kind of been like a sucker punch out of nowhere. And in the midst of whatever it is that you're doing and whatever season of life you're in, bam, kidney shot, there's pain and there's hardship and there's difficulty. And so what are we supposed to do about this? Well, I believe that pain is the greatest indicator for us that, that helps us to know that, that this earth really is not our home. When we go back and read in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis one and Genesis two, we don't see pain as a part of the story. We don't see that at all. In fact, pain doesn't become a part of the story in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve choose to willfully disobey God, that brings sin into the world. And with sin comes a whole host of things, including pain. And when we get to the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, we learn this, Revelation 21, verse four, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And how many of you are excited to experience that? But here's the deal, that is some ways off into the future and it is exciting, we do look forward to it, but that doesn't necessarily do anything for the pain that I feel in my life today. And so so what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about how are we supposed to live with pain? How are we supposed, to? what are we supposed to do with our pain? And that's what we're gonna unpack today. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but one of the greatest deficiencies of the human species is our lack of patience. Do you know anybody who is naturally patient? In the first service, there was much laughter when I asked that question. The reality is, is there are not very many people who are naturally patient. We, patience is a learned trait. Impatience is a natural trait. You know this if you have ever been around a child or if you have ever been responsible for raising a child, you know that your child did not have to be taught how to be impatient. God loved those little terrorists, but they are not a patient bunch. By the way, I love when um, uh, newly wed couples um, or, or people who are not yet wed um, start talking about the things they're gonna do as a parent. One of my favorites is when they go, you know, when I become a parent, I'm not just gonna, just gonna give my kid my phone to distract them. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. If you are somebody who has said that or believes that currently, the laughter you hear is experience. Because you have not yet been in a situation where you're in the checkout line of Walmart trying to hurry up and get home and you've got two children that are losing their ever-loving minds. In that moment, you would gladly give a kidney if they would just shh and not need me. Just for a second. Kids are not a patient bunch. So what do parents do? Well, parents... Despite the fact what you thought of your parents when you were a teenager, your parents aren't dumb. And if you are now a parent, you have learned how not dumb your parents were because parents are like ninjas. They find ways. They're really like Marines. My dad was a Marine and I heard all the time, adapt, improvise and overcome. (laughs) And parents are experts at adaptation and diversionary tactics. It's not a bad thing, by the way, if you use diversionary tactics with your kid. That's just being... A, um, a good person and it is also insurance against your own psychological and mental well-being um, I will say this though sometimes it's good for your kids to, to learn to be patient sometimes it's okay for them to not be given the thing and given the diversionary things because, because what you do when you are teaching your kids to wait is you're actually helping to develop their character you're, you're helping to squash the impulse and the selfishness and the, 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 the I need it now now not later, now is when I, I don't want it. I need it now. And and part of you teaching them patience, that's good. It helps develop their character. It also helps them to build the trust in you as a parent that when you say that whatever it is is coming and it's going to be worth it, they learn to trust what you say. Um for the next portion of the message, I would like to teach you about how you can emphatically know when to use diversionary tactics and when to teach your kids to wait. I don't have a clue. End of message. Good luck working through that. But here's the deal. What's true about kids is also true about us. We also really are not not very patient. And it's also really funny to me as a parent how many times I complain about my kids' lack of patience and how many times I am in a waiting situation, in a waiting room, in a line, in the very rare occasion that I make it to the restaurant or coffee shop before you do. And if you knew me well, you know that never happens Um, what do I do when I sit down? I mean, a lot has changed in the last five minutes since I was on Facebook. We as adults are also pretty impatient. And the same things that are true about kids, about building their character and teaching them to trust is true about us. Did you know that there are times and seasons in your life where God will intentionally place you into a season of waiting? Where God will not answer your prayer right now. Where God will not deliver the thing, not come through right now in the way that you're looking for. The reason why God does that sometimes in those, in those very specific moments is that God knows that, that we need to have our character developed. God knows that we need to learn to do a better job of trusting in him. And so in the same way, a parent will help cultivate character and build trust in their kids by sometimes telling them to wait without the diversionary tactics, God sometimes will do the same thing in us. And the reality of it is, is that as you go through that season of waiting, there is something that God wants to cultivate inside of you that you do not currently possess. Isaiah chapter 40 says it this way, but those who wait on the Lord shall what? renew their strength. So in those seasons of waiting, there is something that you don't currently possess. There is strength that you lost, and what God wants to do is if you will wait on the Lord, God wants to renew your strength. Notice what he says. They shall, those who wait on the Lord, they shall mount up with wings like eagles; They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's what I love about God's word. And this is what I love about God. God is not um, unaware. God is not um, unconcerned. God is not oblivious to the things that are happening in our lives. What God has just told us in his word is that God's got something for everybody. Because if you are in a season right now where everything is great and you'd feel like you are just flying high and you're living under the spout where the glory falls out, then 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 everything is going good. And what God is saying, listen, if that's the season that you're in, if you will wait on me in that season, here's what I want to do. I want to renew your strength in that so that you don't have to continue to feel like you got to beat and flap your wings, metaphorically speaking, unless you just walk around doing that, in which case I don't want to go anywhere with you. But but what God is saying, listen, I will, I will... I will help make it so that you can just kind of kind of open the wings like an eagle does and just kind of soar and ride the wave. Or if you're in a season that maybe isn't quite that awesome, but maybe you're in a good season and things are going well and you feel like, man, I'm running my race. I'm doing my thing. Uh, you know, things are relatively pretty good. What God is saying is, listen, if that's the season that you're in, then I want to renew your strength so that you can run and not grow weary. And for the rest of us who are in a season that You know what? Honestly, like it would be really nice to be in one of those seasons. But honestly, um, if I'm being, you know, honest with where I'm at, like I'm just kind of in a season, like it's all I can do to just put one foot in front of the other. And what God is saying, listen, if that's the season that you're in, then listen, if you will learn to wait on me in that season, then here's what I will do I will renew your strength so that you don't faint, so that you don't fall over, so that you don't quit. So God has something for everybody today, no matter the season, when you learn to wait on the Lord, then God will renew your strength for the place that you are in and the race that you are running. When it comes to waiting, though, there are two basic postures and and you will wait in one of two ways. You will either wait on the situation or you will wait on the Lord. The difference between these two is staggering. Let me help you understand the difference between them. When you wait on the situation, when you choose to wait that way, it means that, that essentially there is, a, there is a perspective that you have that, that regardless of maybe whether or not you say that you believe, your actions dictate that what you actually believe is that this world actually is my home. And I am not living in this season of waiting. I am not... Um, evaluating the pain that I'm feeling right now through any type of a spiritual lens. I'm not, I'm not willing or I'm not able to consider that maybe God is doing something in the midst of this. Instead, I think that this is what it is and that the only way that I'm ever gonna be able to, to get through this season, the only way that I'm gonna get past this pain is if I just wait on the situation. And when I wait on the situation, then I try to engage myself into the situation to figure out how can I accelerate the season of waiting. And so I will use all kinds of things to try to um, uh, uh, accelerate what's going on, to try to get past this season, to get past the pain. And when I do that and, and nothing works, then what happens is, is two friends show up. One of the friends that shows up causes me to lose hope. And the other friend that shows up causes me to feel like a victim. And in these situations and seasons of our life, when we are waiting on the situation and when we begin to lose hope, which then leads us to begin to feel like a victim, then we begin to ask some really big questions like, God, why? I am waiting <laughs> on the Lord. We begin to ask God, why? God, where are you? God, how could you let this happen? And what happens in these moments of waiting, when we're feeling all the pain and, and we've lost hope, we begin to feel like the victim. We begin to feel like I don't deserve this. God, if you really love me, then I don't deserve This pain. And so we begin to ask the questions. But here's the problem. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God rarely answers your questions on your timetable. It is one of the most frustrating things about God to me. God, don't you know that my timetable is the right one? I don't care what their timetable is. Answer on my timetable, please. And so what happens? in the space that exists between our questions and God's answers, when we are writhing in pain, when we are doubting God, what happens is we begin to lean away from God. And when we lean away from God, we disconnect ourselves from the source who promised to renew our strength in the difficulty. This is what it means to wait on the situation. This is what it looks like, this is what happens. But if we would wait on the Lord, We would experience something different because when we wait on the Lord, we wait with this perspective that says, regardless of what the situation or circumstance is, I am believing that my God loves me. I am believing that this world is not my home and that this is not the end all be all for me. That the Bible says that, that I, if by, because of my faith in Christ for my salvation, that, that, that my home is actually in eternity in paradise with God. So whatever happens here, like the Bible says that, that our lives are like a vapor, like it's here today and gone tomorrow. So whatever happens on this little of the radar of my eternity of existence isn't really that, that crisis of a situation. So I'm not going to allow the situation or the circumstance to dictate who I, what I do or where I go or how I respond. Instead, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to engage faith. I'm going to look at the situation and I'm going to say, God, here's what I believe. I believe that you are good. I believe that you are loving and I believe that you are gracious. Therefore, if the thing that has fallen into my lap causes me pain, then it must be because you are trying to cultivate something in Side of me that I do not yet possess for an obstacle that I have not yet faced. To wait on the Lord means that we wait with an understanding that anything that has fallen into my lap first had to pass through God's hands. And when we think about that, we can sometimes go, okay, well, that gives me all the ammo I need to be angry at God. I mean, why would God allow this to pass through my hands? Remember, What do seasons of waiting do for us? It it builds our character and it teaches us to trust in him. People who wait on the Lord, they do not lose hope. People who wait on the Lord do not play the victim, people who wait on the Lord know that God is sovereign. What does this mean? Well, if you've been following along in our in our Advent devotional, um, then you know we've been spending some time talking about what it means for God to be sovereign. It's a word we don't use a lot anymore, but basically it means that God is in total control. And you spent the first section of the Advent learning what does it mean for God to be sovereign over time? And how does that connect and relate to my life on a practical basis? The next section that you go into, you're gonna learn about what it means for God to be sovereign over the leaders of the world. So if God is the King of kings and Lord of lords, like that's fine for me to say it, but what does that mean? And how does my understanding of that affect the way that I that I live my life on the daily basis? And how does it affect the way that I live as I'm waiting on Jesus to return? And those who wait on the Lord have confidence in claiming the promises of God's word, namely promises like this in Romans chapter 28, when it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this, most of the time when people say this in situations, the church says, amen. But I'd like to teach you a little bit about this verse because I believe there's a lot of people in the verse that are claiming this promise for themselves that it actually doesn't doesn't apply to you. This is not an unconditional promise. This is a conditional promise. Let's read it again. And we know that all things work together. So what God is saying is like, it's gonna be all right. But it's only gonna be all right for the people who, for the people who love God, this means that you know that based on your profession of faith in Jesus, there was a time where you recognize "I'm a sinner. I need help. I'm trusting in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection to cover my sins." And as a result of that, I now have a relationship with God, and my home with God truly is in heaven with Him. That 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 it's only going to be all right for the people who love God. But the second conditional promise is that that it's for those who are called according to His purpose. What does that mean? That it that the situation that you're in, if if you are walking and living as a child of God, actively trying to live in obedience to God, God's saying, then listen, if it's fallen into your situation, it's gonna be all right. Here's the problem that I often see. I often see Christians and talk to people who claim this promise, but they are, they're praying for it to be all right because they're in a situation because they walked in disobedience to God. And you start claiming a promise, God, it's all gonna work together for my good. And God goes, You got yourself in this situation. Now, it doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that God is not gracious because he is both of those things. It doesn't mean that God cannot come in and help you because he can. But help from God always comes on the other side of obedience. And so as you are, continuing to live in disobedience, doing what you're doing, how you wanna do it, knowing that you are walking in disobedience to God, stop praying for God to make it all all right because he's not going to. He will intentionally allow it to not be all right so that you can realize what happens when you live in disobedience, not in a punitive way, but so that you can recognize that God's instruction, his encouragement, his word, his truth has been given to us to lead us to a better life that is void from the nonsense that you're dealing with right now. As a little training session, let me train you a little bit on something because I have heard this verse quoted so many times in funeral homes in hospital rooms and living rooms where tears are overwhelming. And it took me about 10 years in ministry to learn this. When somebody's is going through something that is really, really hard, the last thing they need is a Bible quoting robot to come in and go, well, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight and verse 28, that all things work together for good. Can I just tell you like, that's not helpful. I understand that your intent is good. You're trying to leverage you know, spiritual things and I, I get that. I, I understand it. So I'm not saying that you're doing anything wrong. I'm just trying to let you know in that moment, that person does not need counsel. What they need is comfort. They don't need you to throw more Bible verses at them because as much as I love God's word, there are times where the thing that you go through is so painful, it is so excruciatingly awful that it will take years before you're able to see how that thing plays or fits into the broader picture and the story that God is painting in our lives. And in the moment where the pain is most intense, they oftentimes don't need you to quote Bible verses at them. What they need you to do is to sit down in the misery, in the pain, in the mud, and put your arm around them and say, I love you, this sucks, and I'm sorry. Now you can start praying. You can, you can pray it in your mind. I love you, this sucks, I'm sorry. God, would you help them to see how this is gonna work together for their good? Training over. So how do we do this? How do we wait on the Lord when we experience pain? Well, I think the best example for us for this would be King David. If you are aware of David in the Old Testament, then you're, you're fairly aware of some of his story. If not, then I'd love to give you, kind of read you his bio. Who was David? David was, um, uh, was a boy who moved from obscurity as a shepherd boy to become the greatest king in Israel's history, apart from Jesus. He was a uh, praised for killing the giant Philistine war machine known as Goliath. He became extravagantly wealthy. He designed the blueprint for the Temple of God, which was the epicenter for the nation of Israel, and he carried the unusual distinction of being famous as a mighty man of war and brilliant military tactician while also being famous as a poet and a songwriter. Think General Patton meets Elvis. That's David. Dude was talented. Now you can, read, you can hear all that and go, wow, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good life. I mean, I, you know, must be hard being him. But when you read a little bit further, what you learn is that David actually experienced all sorts of painful and excruciating things in his life. Matter of fact, when we first meet David, David is just a shepherd boy and the prophet for the nation of Israel is coming to, to David's house to try to see if the next king of Israel is there. Samuel is the name of the prophet's name. He shows up and his dad's, David's dad's name is Jesse. He, he, he realized that Samuel's there and, and this it, it's like Cinderella, like everybody's gonna go to the ball, but, but Cinderella has to do the chores. And so Jesse tells David, boy, Get out there and handle the chores. All the rest of y'all put your Sunday best on, Samuel's here. And Jesse parades all of his sons in front of Samuel while David is out there dealing with the pigs and the sheep. See, David had to deal with at a very early age, a father who thought so little of him to not even invite him into the house when a special guest showed up. When David was a little bit older, um, the nation of Israel was at war against the Philistines and his brothers were on the front lines of the battle. And his dad said, hey, Dave, I need you to, uh, I need you to take some food to your brothers, you know, because if they don't eat, they're gonna starve. And if they starve, they can't fight and win. And we don't want that because we wanna win. And so Jesse sends David to the front lines with all kinds of food and supplies and stuff like that. David gets there and he hears Goliath basically cursing God and cursing the nation of Israel. And David asks the question that any reasonable person would ask. Why ain't y'all shut him up yet? And David's brothers get so mad, they begin to question his motives. Like, why are you even here, pipsqueak? Don't you know you're supposed to be back home, little guy? And David's like, I'm only here because dad told me to bring you some food. You're welcome. King Saul, fast forward a few more years. King Saul was uh, uh, dealt with all types of mental and emotional instability. And at one point, some of the people in King Saul's inner circle was like, man, homeboy needs to get some sleep because, you know, it's like those Snickers commercials, like not satisfied and like they, they're like hangry kind of thing. It's like that except with sleep. And so they have the, the, the bright idea, like, listen, we need to get somebody in, in, in Saul's room, like in the corner to just like play some music or something. Maybe that will, will help ease his tension, ease his mind. And so someone goes, I know a guy, I know a, I know a kid who can do a face melting harp solo and just shred on the harp. And so they bring David in and David starts shredding. Saul doesn't like that very much. Saul gets his spear and chunks it at David's face. More than once, by the way. Apparently, David is pretty nimble, not only with the fingers on the harp but with his feet and does like a ninja move and gets out of the way. And David's like, listen, bro, I'm out. Like, I'm just trying to play some music for you, homie. For the next several years, Saul, motivated by so much jealousy because David was, became known for killing Goliath and the rumor was that David was gonna be the next king of Israel, Saul basically determined that he was gonna send his his. Israel Navy SEALs on a search and destroy dead or alive mission to bring David back. And the whole time we see David running, David's like, I didn't even do nothing. Just tried to help you sleep, man. Fast forward a little bit further, we see David experience the devastating consequences of sin that he committed when he slept with a woman that he was not married to. She got pregnant. David tried to cover it up, had her husband killed and welcomed him in as his wife. David thought he covered the whole thing up until God said, "Listen, you can hide it from other people, but you can't hide it from me." The son that was born out of that affair died as an infant. And we see David in excruciating grief and mourning. And towards the end of David's life, David faces a coup, and in those days, the only way that a king could be overthrown is if a king was killed. And so the king, David, is facing a coup and an insurrection and people are coming after him. What made it worse was that it was his own son, Absalom, who initiated the insurrection and sought to overthrow his father. See, David's life wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. David experienced one excruciatingly painful situation after another, but there was something about the way that David handled that pain. There was something about the way that David waited on the Lord in the midst of that pain that caused David to be able to continue to move forward, regardless of what happened when he was just a boy, to all the way to the end of his time as king, David was able to continue to progress, continue to move forward, continue to be useful in God's hands. In fact, David, there was something about the way that he did it, that by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, when somebody looks back on the life of David, they say this about him, that God raised up for them Israel, David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. David, how did you do it, man? How were you able in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of waiting for whatever it was that God had next, in the midst of all of the pain that you went through, David, how, how did you do that? How did you not become crippled? How did you not become just, just, Devastated. How did you, how are you able to move forward in that? And the answer to that question is what is critical for you and I to understand today. Because when we go back and we read the book of Psalms, what we see as David pours his heart out over and over and over to God, we learn David's secret. That in those situations where so many people would have felt justified to pull back, to disconnect and to lean away from God, David leaned in to God. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, allow me to show you. When David was in a season of his life where he was uncertain, he wasn't sure exactly where he was supposed to go. He wasn't sure about the decision that he was supposed to make. David leaned in to seek God's wisdom. Psalm 25 tells us. David says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation and on you I wait all the day. What David is saying here is like, God, listen, I'm going to wait on you. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. I'm not sure what the right direction is. But here's what I do know. I know that you have been the God of my salvation. I know that you have come in the clutch for me. I know that you have been with me in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the highs, in the midst of the lows. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get ahead of you. I'm not going to try to just hurry up and rush the decision. What David says when he says that I have, I have looked at your truth. um, He says, lead me in your truth teach me what he's saying is is what David knew at that time as his bible he says god i've opened your bible i've opened your word i've opened your truth and i am saying god teach me in here what the decision is that i'm supposed to make and whatever the decision is that's in here my life will change in response to what your word tells me david didn't lean away from god when he was unsure he leaned into god when david sinned against Bathsheba or with Bathsheba? What did David do? Can I tell you, there are so many people that go to church, so many people that have heard about Jesus, that for one reason or another, you've been led to believe that, that when you sin, that, that you, you, you need to create space between you and God that when you, you did what you did and smoked what you smoked and slept with who you slept with and went to the place that you shouldn't have been, that, that 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 you think, well, I can't go to church because I've got this stuff. But I want you to understand and see what David does. David does the opposite. When David sinned, he leaned in to seek God's forgiveness. Verse Psalm 51 verse one says, You know what David's doing here? He's doing a couple things. Number one, he says, God, I know that my sin was with Bathsheba and against her and against her husband who I had murdered. But ultimately, God, my sin, it's against you. How many times in our life when we do something wrong, when we hurt somebody, when we harm somebody, are you willing to go and ask that person for forgiveness and try to make it right? And if you are willing to do that, how many times have you taken it a step further and realized that God actually, I didn't just sin against them, I actually sinned against you. Now, what David is doing here, David is not trying to demonstrate that every time that we sin, we've got to pray and ask for God to bring salvation to our life again. That's not, that's not how it works. God makes it super clear all throughout scripture that once you have become a child of God, once you become born again, as Jesus says in John chapter three, you are a child of God. You are secure. Your salvation is secured eternally. And God says in his word that you are secured in my hand and no one or nothing can pluck you from my hand. So David is not saying that every time you sin, we got a God, would you save me again? Would you you save me again? That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying is, listen, God, you made me clean and I have gotten myself dirty. My soul has been cleansed because of Jesus, but my life is dirty because of my decisions. God, would you clean me again? Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? I claim the blood of Jesus on my sin. I don't need to be saved again, but I need to be cleaned again. When David sinned against God, he he leaned in to seek God's forgiveness. But what about when David was lost and bewildered? What about the times where he felt like God was distant from him? When he felt that maybe God had abandoned him and he didn't care anymore? What did David do? Well, David didn't lean away from God. David leaned in to worship God. Psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? You know what David is doing? David is saying, God, I got issues with you. God, where are you? Why are these things happening? And David's response is not to be, to be to be scared of God. David's response isn't to be disconnected with God. David leans into God. You know what I've learned about God? God's a really big boy. He can handle when I'm disappointed. God's a really big boy. He can handle when I'm upset, when I'm hurt, when I'm angry. Can I tell you, I've had seasons of my life where my prayers to God were a rage-filled, expletive, impressive showcase to God saying, God, what the... And what I've learned about God is God, God can handle that. But what I love is at the end of Psalm 13, when David gets to the end of it, he gets to this conclusion and he says, God, so I will sing to you. see, when David was bewildered and he was frustrated with God by, 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 by where is God and God, why is all that's happening? He doesn't lean away from God. He leans in. He lets God know, like, I got issues. I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. This is what I'm processing. This is what I'm thinking. And then David comes to the realization that God's not mad at him for sharing all of that. And as a result, David says, God, so I will sing to you. See, in so many situations of our life, there are things that happen, pain that is caused in our life, the hurt that we feel. And our natural instinct is to want to pull back, is to want to lean away. But David teaches us here that the secret to waiting on the Lord is to lean in closer to him the more pain that we experience. I know this is counterintuitive. I know this is preaching that sometimes is a little weird and it's odd and I don't really understand that. It doesn't make sense, it goes against my instinct. But here's what we have to understand. The devil knows about you the same thing every parent knows about their children. You suck at waiting. And so the devil will do to you what parents will do to their kids. Let me distract, let me, let me divert. And so what the devil does is he will, he will bring things into your life so that you will lean on something else instead of leaning on God. And so when you feel pain, he'll give you, you know, something super fashionable to lean on. Super cute. Brings out my eyes, doesn't it? Yeah. This represents comfort. So when you're in waiting and when you're in pain and you're trying to figure things out, what the devil will do is he will bring comfort into your life. You don't need a lot of it, just a little bit. Take the edge off. And comfort, depending on who you are and the way you're wired can look all kinds of different ways. It could be food, it could be a bottle, it could be drugs, it could be somebody to lay with. So what the devil will do is he'll bring, he'll bring comfort into your life. So you can get just a little bit of comfort, just a little bit of peace. Just take a little bit of the edge off and he'll try to get you to lean on comfort and wait on the situation. And if that doesn't work, then he'll bring something else along. This was shorter in the first service. Somebody help the brother out. But <clears throat> we'll bring something else along. Something else that as long as you just kind of lean forward, like it'll, it'll keep you from falling. I can have a sense of control as long as I've got this because I'm still kind of in control. I'm the one determining where I'm going. This is just kind of holding me up, making sure I don't stumble and fall. This, this represents your logic your ability to reason or ration your way through something. You build your pros and cons list, you build your um uh, you know, uh, the, what, what happens if I do this? And I start trying to to, to to work through it logically and try to try to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And and, and, and we like it because it, you know, it's still my decisions. I'm still kind of in control. And, and as long as I'm in control, then I can kind of determine the pace. I don't have to wait on the Lord. I, I can kind of, you know, just wait on the situation. And it, and it kind of feels good to just, you know, just a little lean, just a little something to help me out. I, I, don't, I don't need a lot of help. I just need a little bit just to make sure I don't stumble and fall. And so the devil will constantly convince you, you can figure it out. I mean after all you have the Google machine. Google knows everything. You just you just need a little something to just kind of keep you propped upright. And when that doesn't work, then he'll bring along something else. These are also taller. You know, give you some crutches. This represents convenience. I don't really know what the right thing to do is. Let me just figure out what the easiest solution is. I mean, I just need to lean on a little bit and I can kind of, you know, move forward. I can kind of move, move back. Not nearly as good, but you know. And so I just need something that's kind of convenient. It doesn't have to be right. I just need it to be right. Now, so the devil puts these things in our lives because the devil knows something that we oftentimes forget. That as long as we lean on these things, we're not leaning on the Lord. As long as we lean on these things, we are waiting on the situation and we're not waiting on the Lord. And as long as we are leaning on these things, listen to this, you will be disconnected from the only source that promised to renew your strength. Not only will you be disconnected from the source that promised to renew your strength, you will miss out on the character that God wants to cultivate within you to prepare you for the next thing that you don't even know yet is coming. As long as you lean on these things, convenience, logic, and comfort, then you will lose out on the opportunity to trust in the promises of God and to be reminded that it was him that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see the reason why people need these things is because they have something that has been broken something that strength has been fractured. And any doctor, any therapist, um, when, when, you're, when you're prescribed these things, they're, they're never gonna tell you, yeah, it's my hope that you spend the rest of your life just like this. This is what I want for you. I want you to be constantly, forevermore and always dependent on this. No, that's not the reason why they give you these things. They give you these things because they recognize that you're in a season right now where your body is incapable of doing it on your own. But the goal is to help you be rehabilitated. The goal is for your strength to be renewed so that you can someday say, I don't need this anymore. But listen to me, that's not how the devil operates. The devil wants you to go, here, just take it. Just, just, just live on this. All you need is a little convenience. Just need a little bit of comfort. Just, just rely on, on your reason and ability, your logic, your ability to problem solve. Listen, I just need you to lean on this because what the devil knows is as long as you lean on this, you won't lean on God. And so he brings these things and then he will constantly convince you, you just need a little bit more. You need a little bit more. You need a little bit more. And this is what happens when you live your life like this, waiting on the situation by leaning on these things then the thing that is broken inside of you will never be healed and the strength you lost will never be renewed. And so we have to understand it's inevitable that as we wait on the return of Jesus, life is gonna happen. Pain is gonna happen. You get to choose how you're gonna wait. And it is my hope, it is my prayer that in those moments that you would be reminded of the words of the Lord when he said in Isaiah chapter 40, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, listen, do you have you forgotten who God is? God has not grown weak. God has not grown weary. God has not grown distant or confused or disinterested. He is intimately and intricately aware of your situation, of the thing in your life that you are in pain about. He is aware of it. Don't forget that. Then he says, notice what he says. He he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. This is the reason why these things, convenience and logic and, and, and comfort, this is the reason why this doesn't work. It helps us to feel better in the moment. It gives a momentary relief from the pain, but it doesn't rebuild, renew, or restore anything that is inside of us. We, 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 we lose the opportunity for God to renew the strength that we need, not just to be able to get over what we're facing, but to prepare us for the obstacle ahead. He says this in verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men will utterly fall. He's saying it's inevitable that stuff's gonna happen, that better people than you, stronger people than you, more spiritually mature people than you are gonna stumble and fall. But, and here's our verse, those who wait on the Lord. How do we wait in the Lord? David taught us. We don't lean away, we lean in. We worship God in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the lack of understanding. And when you do that, then here's what the Lord will do. He will renew your strength. And regardless of what season that you're in, you will either be mounted up on wings like eagles You shall run and not be weary or you will walk and not faint. Why? Because God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross as a remedy for the pain that we face in this world. And that remedy is available to everyone and anyone who would cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. And so may you, if you are here today and going through a season of waiting, going through a season of pain, or may you be reminded the next time that you are, the stuff of this world might help for a moment. but these are not the source that we rely on. We rely on the Lord and we lean in to him. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the life-changing power of the grace and mercy of God to forgive you of your sins, to give you new hope, to give you confidence that tomorrow can be better than today. And it's my hope today that you would consider Jesus And that maybe for the first time, you would be willing to give him a chance. And that you would choose to trust in him instead of trusting and relying on your own self. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.